Well, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Last week, we started a new series on Paul's letter that he wrote to the church in Ephesus. We call it the letter to the Ephesians. And the first two verses we saw last week pointed to a couple different reasons why we should read and study and learn and live this letter. And one of the reasons was because this letter was written to believers, followers of Jesus, who lived in a spiritually difficult area. Ephesus was a spiritually difficult place to live. First of all, the temple to Artemis was there, which was a massive building, one of the largest buildings in the Roman Empire. It was one of the seven wonders of the world, and it was devoted to worship of the goddess Artemis. Besides that, Ephesus was a center for magic and the dark arts, the occult, and so Ephesus would have been a very difficult place to be a follower of Jesus. And so we want to look now, what does Paul, where does he start? How does he encourage believers like those he was writing to as well as us who live in spiritually difficult places? Where does he start? How does he encourage them? Look at verse 3. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So Paul starts off blessing God, praising God, because God's given us every spiritual blessing in Christ. So the way he encourages people like them, like us, who live in spiritually difficult places is to say, as difficult as the place is, understand God has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in Christ. You are richly blessed in Christ, even though you're living in a spiritually difficult place. Now, spread those spiritual blessings. That's what Paul's saying. So the next thing Paul does in verses 4 through 14 is he lists what some of these spiritual blessings are. But before we look, I want you to think in your mind, if you were going to make a list of spiritual blessings, what would you put on your list? What would you write down? Spiritual blessings, what would you include? What would you start your list with? What would be number one? What would be number two? What would be on your list? Let's look at what's on Paul's list. Verses four through six. Even as he chose us in him, as he, God the Father, chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. That's the first spiritual blessing he lists. And then second, in love, by the way, those two words, they're at the end of verse 4, but they should be the beginning of verse 5. You wonder, well, how did that happen? Well, there was a monk named Robertus Stephanus back in the 1500s, and he put verse numbers in the Bible, and he mostly got it right, but didn't get this one right, so that's why. So in love goes with verse 5. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. So Paul starts with two spiritual blessings that come to us from God the Father. First, we have been chosen by God 
before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless. That's the blessing of election. The Greek word chosen, elecho, elect, we're called elect oftentimes. That's the blessing of election. Second blessing, we've been predestined by God for adoption as sons, daughters too, sons is generic there, sons and daughters, through Jesus Christ. That's the doctrine of predestination. So here's Paul's list. Here's where he starts his list. How many of you would have started off your list with election and predestination? How many of you would have included election and predestination in your list? My guess is probably not many of us. The reasons are, there's many reasons. One reason is these doctrines aren't easy to understand. They raise some difficult questions. And also, different godly people who study the Scripture explain these doctrines different ways. We can agree to disagree on these points, but there are some differences. But I want you to notice the fact that Paul starts his list of spiritual blessings with election and predestination shows that Paul thought it was very important that we understand these that we understand them and that we love them. So here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to talk about election and predestination. I'm not going to be able to answer all your questions by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm hoping that what you hear this morning as we look at these verses, as we study this, and you may hear some things this morning that are different from your background. And again, that happens often here. We're from different backgrounds. But I just want to explain to you what I see in the Scripture about election and predestination. So you may hear some things that are different, but I'm hoping that all of us will be stirred to study these topics more, to learn more. Again, Paul, this is number one and two on Paul's list. We need to understand election. We need to understand predestination. I'm hoping what will happen in us is what happened to George Mueller. George Mueller, many of you have heard of him, he was an amazing Christian leader in, the, in England in the 1800s. And you've probably heard stories, if you have heard about him, time and time again, he started numerous orphanages. And so often he had no money to feed the children. And at the last, and they'd be praying, praying, praying. He would never publicize his need. He just, Lord, you can stir people's hearts. Time and time and time again, God at the last minute provided everything that they needed. You've heard those stories, right? George Mueller, amazing man of God. Listen to what he says about his struggle with studying election. He says, I had been much opposed to the doctrine of election, but now I was brought to examine these precious truths by the Word of God. I read the New Testament from the beginning with a particular reference to these truths. To my astonishment, I found that the passages which speak decidedly for election were about four times as many as those which speak apparently against this truth. And even those few, when I had examined and understood them, served to confirm me in this doctrine. Since that period, by the grace of God, I have walked more closely with God than before. My life has not been so variable, so up and down, so moody. My life has not been so variable. And I may say 
that I've lived much more for God than before. That's what I'm praying will happen to us, Grace Church, as we study election and predestination. So let's start with this question. What does it mean to be chosen by God? Look at verse 4. Paul says, even as He, God the Father, chose us in Him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. And notice, God chose us. So who is this us? Who is included in the word us? Well, verse 1 and 2 show that God is writing to saints and faithful believers. So the us would include anyone who is trusting Jesus Christ, anyone who's looking to Jesus Christ this morning by faith. Now, some of you might be really strong in faith this morning. You might be battling temptation. You might be taking steps of bold obedience. You might be strong in faith this morning. Others of you might be weak in faith this morning. Maybe you're weighed down by trials. Maybe you're crying out, I believe, help my unbelief. Okay, but here's the deal. Strong faith, weak faith, faith is faith. And if you're crying out to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief, then you have faith just like the strong do, so that this is talking about you. The fact that you are believing in Jesus this morning shows that you have been chosen by God. Let me say that again. The fact that today you're, you're believing in Jesus, even with weak faith, Jesus, help me, that shows that you have been chosen by God. And Paul says that God chose you before the foundation of the world. I mean, back, back, back in time, before God created anything, when God looked ahead and saw all the, all the people He would create, way back then, God looked ahead and He chose you. He chose you personally, individually. He chose you. That's amazing. And, and what did He choose us for? He chose us, He chose you, that you should be holy and blameless before Him. Now, this doesn't mean he chose you hoping you'd become holy and blameless. It doesn't mean he chose you wishing you would become holy and blameless. This means he chose you promising that you would be holy and blameless. He chose you because that meant he was going to cause you to become holy and blameless. So because you're trusting Jesus right now, you can know that before the foundation of the world... God chose you and you and you and you and you and you. He chose you individually to be holy and blameless. Now, that should raise a question in our mind, at least one. The one I'm going to talk about right now is how could God choose us with such an amazing blessing when we were sinful, right? As God looked ahead and saw all of us, all of us, before we were saved, just like everybody else, we were completely sinful. We were turning away from God. We were loving the darkness rather than the light. Our backs were turned on God. We were running away from God. All we deserved was judgment, so how could God choose us to become holy and blameless? It's because, as verse 4 says, God chose us in Him, in Jesus Christ. God knew 
that he was going to send Jesus. So before the foundation of the world, God knew everybody would fall away, everybody would run away from him, everybody would move into sin, and God knew that he was going to send Jesus thousand years, thousands of years in the future. And it's because of what Jesus would do on the cross that God, from before the foundation of the world, could choose you. He chose you to be holy and blameless, which meant that then at some point in time in your life, he brought his power upon you and he changed your heart. He set you free from sin's power, sin's deception. He gave you faith. He gave you a new heart. He changed you. He gave you the Holy Spirit by whose power you are now progressively becoming holy and blameless and by whose power when you arrive in heaven, you will be holy and blameless. That's what Paul is describing here. That's, that's the doctrine of election. Because you're trusting Jesus now, you can know that before the foundation of the world, God chose you to be holy and blameless. Now, what I hope will happen is that because we're talking about this this morning, you're going to start, as you're reading the Bible, you're going to start to see this because it's all over the Bible, just like George Mueller said. For example, think of how many times Jesus calls us his elect, E-L-E-C-T. I will take care of my elect. I will love my elect. I will watch for my elect. That's all over the place in the Gospels. Look at that. Let me give you two other scriptures, actually three, just as examples so that you can see how often this is talked about. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, Paul says, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. He calls us God's chosen ones. That's who we are. God chose you before the foundation of the world. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4, For we know, brothers loved by God, that He has chosen you. Paul loved to tell people, remember, God chose you. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, Paul says, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Think about Jesus. Remember, he says, you did not choose me. I chose you. As you start to look, I, I hope you start to see this is very common in the Bible. And again, Paul starts off his list of spiritual blessings with this blessing of election, the fact that God chose you. This is important for us to understand and to love. Now, why is this so important? There's lots of reasons. Let me give you two that I thought of especially. One is because this will help us focus on what's most important. I mean, think about this. The God of the universe chose you to be holy and blameless before Him. He did not choose you to be comfortable. He did not choose you to be entertained. He did not choose you necessarily to be prosperous. He chose you, what was His choice? That you'd be holy and blameless. So when I've prayed about this, what this has done in my mind is this just said, this is what's important for me. Whatever's happening with difficulties at work or in, in neighborhood or with family, whatever difficulties, I am called by God, I am chosen by God to be holy and blameless in this situation. That's what my priority should be, to be holy and blameless, to glorify God in whatever I'm doing. So thinking about God's choosing you puts your focus on what's most important. Secondly, 
I have found this so helpful in making me strong against temptation. I mean, we can face massive temptations. Some of you, this last week, I'm sure you have faced temptations that pulled so strongly at you, you just didn't think you could hold back or resist. And if you didn't experience that this last week, you will in the weeks to come, right? This is just the Christian life. It's war. But to stop and think, God, sovereign God, powerful God, infinite God has chosen me to be holy and blameless. This reminds me, I'm not just battling this temptation by my own power. His power is helping me battle this temptation. God's power is here. He's chosen to make me holy and blameless. He's going to help me here. And that makes all the difference when you're fighting temptation. Helps you to fight with more fervor, more passion, more faith and confidence. So it'll help us focus on what's most important, being holy and blameless, and it'll help us be strong against temptation. So that's the first blessing Paul lists, the blessing of election, that God chose us for holiness. The second blessing is that God predestined us for adoption. This is sweet. This is so encouraging. What does it mean to be predestined to adoption? Look at verse 5. Again, in love, in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. So in love, he predestined us. Who's the us? All who are trusting Christ. So because you're trusting Christ now, you can know that God predestined you to adoption. What does it mean to predestine? Well, to predestine something, you look up in the dictionary, it means to decide beforehand that something is going to happen. Now, now we can't do that. He's not very much, right? We're very limited in what we can decide beforehand it will happen. God is not limited in that. God is sovereign over everything. God has all authority over everything. God can decide beforehand whatever he wants to, and it will happen because he is God. So God can decide beforehand. And so God predestined you for adoption, which means that God decided beforehand, before the foundation of the world, he decided that you would be adopted as his son, as his daughter. This is amazing. God predestined you, Wendy. Adopted, right? Okay, Luke, adopted, right? You, Mario, he chose to adopt you. You, and, and underline those two words, in love. The Father's heart towards you was love. I'm predestining you. I'm choosing beforehand. You're going to be adopted. You're going to be adopted. And you know that he did that for you because now you're trusting Jesus. This is beautiful. Now, why did we need to be adopted? Because we were orphans. Our sin had orphaned us. We had all knowingly, tragically turned our backs on God, run away from Him into sin. We all had been cut off, therefore, from God's fatherly love and care. We were orphans because of our sin. Just like, I mean, picture an orphan in the middle of this big city sitting on a park bench somewhere, all by himself, all by herself. That's how we were. 
Where are you going to sleep tonight? Who's going to protect you? Who's going to provide for you? What are you going to eat? Who's going to nurture you and love you and comfort you and care for you? We were all orphans in this world because of our sin. Cut off from our Father alone, fending for ourselves. That's how we were. We weren't created to be that way, but that's how we were because of our sin. But God predestined to adopt you. He decided beforehand, I'm going to adopt him, her, her, him, him, her, her, him. That it was in love. In love, he decided beforehand he was going to adopt you. Now, how could he do that? We'd sinned. How could he do that? Same question we asked back in verse 4. Same answer in verse 5. Different words. Three words. Through Jesus Christ. That's how God could do that. The only reason was because God looked ahead and he saw Jesus is going to die on the cross. He's going to pay for sin. I'm going to send my beloved son to the cross. Jesus was willing, freely choosing to go to the cross to be punished in our place for our sin. And so because of what Jesus would do on the cross, God looked ahead and he predestined that he would adopt you which meant that at some point in your life he was going to bring his power upon you and change your heart, give you faith. You would put your trust in Christ. You'd be forgiven for all your sins. And he would pour his spirit out upon you and he would adopt you. And for the rest of your life, for eternity, he would be your father, loving you, knowing you, caring for you, guiding you, comforting you, providing for you, strengthening you encouraging you, doing everything you needed. Fathers, think about your sons, your daughters. We are weak, wimpy fathers compared to the perfect Father God. But that's a picture of what's in His heart towards us. And this is the second spiritual blessing Paul lists, which means it's important to understand. Now, what are some of the ways this will impact us? Why is this important for us to understand? lots of reasons. I, I just thought of two in particular. One is this shows you that God loves you. I mean, we do battle believing that in our lives, right? I would guess some of you are going through trials and suffering and difficulties, and you have wondered if God loves you. So I would encourage you to look at verse 5 in the last two words of verse 4. In love, in love, He predestined you for adoption through Jesus Christ, as sons. That is a display of His love for you. You can look at the cross. You can look at His adopting work. You can look at how He's given you faith. The fact that you have faith this morning shows that God chose you. He predestined you for adoption as sons. So you can know God loves you. Another reason this helps me is it, it helps me feel secure. My father... Not my earthly father, I love my earthly father, but my heavenly father is in absolute control over everything. Every event, every action, every atom, everything, God's in absolute control over. Your job is under his control with all that's going on there. Your health is under God's control with whatever fears or concerns you might have there. All of your relationships are under his control. 
Everything is under his wise and loving control. Now, that does not mean, that means it's going to be easy for the rest of my life. No, he's, he's promised we will have trials. In his love, he's promised that, but it means that we can trust he's in control. My father, who's wise, who's loving, who's all-powerful, he's in control of this. I'm secure. I can trust him. He's going to help me, and great good, great good is coming out of this. See the power of that? God loves you, and you're secure because he's adopted you as his son and daughter. So Paul wants us to understand that before the foundation of the world, first blessing, God chose us in Christ to be holy and blameless. And the second blessing, Paul wants us to understand that in love, God predestined, he decided beforehand that you would be adopted through Jesus Christ as his son, as his daughter. But now, Paul also wants us to understand God's purpose for doing this. What moved God to do this? What motivated God to do this? What was God's goal, purpose for choosing us and for predestining us? And the answer is in verse 6. Really important to to dwell here and ponder this. Look at what he says. Start with verse 5 to get the flow of thought. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. God's purpose was to the praise of his glorious grace. This is a really important idea for Paul because he repeats it in verse 12 and in verse 14 in this list. All these things in this list God does to the praise of his glorious grace and that's why he chooses us and that's why he predestines us That's his purpose. He wants to display the glory of his grace. He wants to show forth his glorious grace so that it would be praised. That's his goal, is to show how gracious he is, gloriously gracious. So as I looked at this and pondered, I thought, okay, so how does God's choosing and predestining us show his grace? How does it show his grace? And Paul doesn't answer that question in chapter 1. I looked, couldn't find any answers, but I did find an answer in chapter 2. Very famous verses, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Let's look at those. These show us how God's choosing, predestining, how His saving us shows forth His grace. Start in verse 9. Ephesians 2, verse, sorry, verse 8. Start there. Ephesians 2, 8. For by grace, there it is, Paul says, by grace, you have been saved through faith. Then he explains how this was by grace. Because this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Again, Paul's talking about grace here, right? For by grace you've been saved. So our salvation, including are being chosen, being predestined. It displays God's grace. But how does God's choosing us, His predestining us, how does that show God's grace? Now, one reason is because God saved us by grace. And what that means is He did not choose us because of our works. That's clear from verse 9, right? 
not a result of works so that no one may boast. So God didn't look ahead from eternity past and think, look at that woman there who just loves her kids so beautifully and cares for her husband. He's such an ordinary person, and she's so forgiving of him, you know, and, and look, at she's, she's going to church, and she never swears. I mean, look at all those works. I'm choosing her to be adopted as my daughter. Now, if God does that, then what glory would be praised in God's choosing? Her works, right? That's what would be praised, not the glory of God's grace, but the glory of her works. Or if God looks ahead at some man and says, look at how faithfully he is it providing for his family and working hard at his job. He is always honest. He never lies. Look at those beautiful works. I choose you because of those works. What's praised and glorified? His works. Do you see that? Not grace, but works. So God saving us, choosing us, predestining us by grace means he did not choose us because of our works. This is so important for us to understand. But Paul tells us something else this means. Grace means that God did not choose us because of our faith. Now, this may be something you have not heard before, okay? And that's all right. My job is to teach the Bible as, as I understand it, and then your job is to study and see if I'm right, all right? So now you all have a homework assignment to work on. Some people who love Jesus, love God's word, and who I love, would teach it differently. They would say that God looked ahead and saw who would have faith and chose those people who he knew would have faith. And, and those people mean well, and I love them, but I, I don't think that's what the Bible teaches. I don't think that's what this passage teaches. Now, again, this might be a brand new thought for you, just... Just chill, just take some notes, say, I'll study this more later, all right? We're all good here? Good, I knew we were. All right, so let me show you this from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. See if you can see this. Notice in verse 8, Paul says, this is not of your own doing. So what is not of your own doing? What is he referring to with the word this? little grammar lesson here. What does the this refer to? Is it faith? Is it being saved? Is it grace? Those are the three options in the previous sentence. Now, to explain this, we need a little Greek lesson. Are you ready? Put your, your Greek study hats on. Here we go. The Greek language has three genders. Okay? English doesn't have genders. The Greek language has three genders, masculine, feminine, and neuter. And the word this is neuter, all right? Which means the word this can't refer back to grace because grace is feminine and pronouns and nouns need to match in gender, okay? So the word this can't refer to grace because grace is feminine. It can't refer to the word save, which is masculine participle, and it can't refer to faith either because faith is feminine. Well, that's puzzling. All you gr grammar police, you're, you're, you're puzzled now, aren't you, okay? You're wondering. So the reason Paul wrote this as a neuter pronoun, even though Two of those previous words are feminine, one's masculine, is because the neuter pronoun shows that he's including all three of those items in the word this. All three, everything in that previous phrase is included in the word this. So he's saying God's grace wasn't our own doing. It was a gift of God. He's saying our being saved was not our own doing. 
It was a gift of God. And he's saying our faith was not our own doing. It was a gift of God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Think about it. If, if God looked ahead, it's all of humanity, and he saw this person having faith, I choose him because he has faith. I choose him because he has faith. I choose him because he has faith. That's to the praise of the glory of our faith. But this was to the praise of the glory of God's grace. What Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 means is that not even our faith was our own doing. Our faith was a gift from God. In other words, we were so lost, we were so sinful, that if God had sat back and said, I'm waiting for people to have faith out there, God would still be waiting. We loved the darkness rather than the light. We were at enmity with God. We were not interested in God. We did not want to have faith. We loved our, our sin. Now, godly people would teach that differently. I acknowledge that. You need to study and see what the Bible, you believe the Bible says. Let me give you two other scriptures, though, to back this up. Look at Acts 18, verse 27. And when he, Paul, wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who, through grace, had believed. Their believing did not come from themselves. It came through God's grace. It was God's grace that gave them faith. It was God's grace that changed their hearts. So they believed. They, they believed through grace. Look also at Acts 13, 48. See what you think of this one. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. As many as were appointed to eternal life believed. How many believed? As many as were appointed to eternal life. So they, they weren't appointed to eternal life because God saw that they would believe. They believed because God had appointed them to eternal life. Now, this should be raising lots of questions in our minds. And that's a good thing. I said this, this raises lots of questions. And questions are good to take those questions to the Scripture, to study, to ponder. But I'm persuaded that the Scriptures teach that we were all so lost that if God had waited to save those who had faith, nobody would have been saved. And God wasn't going to let that happen. That's my conviction. We were that lost. So picture it like this. All of us were running away from God, running towards our sin. We had turned our backs on God, running from Him. No faith in God, no desire for God. We were facing punishment forever. And again, if God had waited for us to have faith in Him, none of us would because we didn't want to. We were enslaved to sin. If God waited for you to have faith before He chose you, nobody would have ever been chosen. So what does God do? He sees humanity running away from Him. Sin. Deserving judgment. Deserving judgment. To display the glory of His mercy, God chose to save 
a vast multitude, the book of Revelation says, that no one can count from every nation, tongue, and tribe. And God did this through Jesus. I want you to think of the love of God and the love of Jesus displayed on the cross. Think of the cost to the Father, the heart-wrenching, heart-breaking cost of sending His Son, who He loved, to suffer on the cross. Fathers, think about that. Think about Jesus' cost. We, we see it pictured in Gethsemane. He's, he's sweating like drops of blood as He's praying, anticipating the cross, and He is choosing to go to the cross. Great love, costly love displayed there. And because of what Jesus would do on the cross, God chose a vast multitude that no one could count from every nation, tongue, and tribe. He chose them to be holy and blameless, and He chose them to be His adopted sons and daughters. And God chose you before the foundation of the world. Because of that, He chose you, because of what Jesus would do. You had no faith. You had no works. He chose you to be holy and blameless. He chose you to be a son and daughter. And because he chose you, then at some point in your life, he brought his power upon you, changed your heart, gave you faith, gave you repentance. When you turned to Christ, you were forgiven for your sins. He poured out his spirit upon you. You started becoming holy and blameless, and he was your, your father. That's what he did. Now, again, I said this raises lots of questions. One question this might raise is, is God loving to do this? Yes, he chooses a vast multitude, but what about those he allows to continue in their, in their sin towards judgment? Is God loving? And I would just point you to the cross and to the Father sending Jesus to the cross and to Jesus being willing to go to the cross. And I would ask you, is God loving? God demonstrated his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God is blazingly loving. No one can question if God is loving. The cost to the Father and the Son to have the cross take place, no one can question whether God's loving. Sometimes when people hear this, they think, well, is God just? And God is just to allow people to go where they want to go towards judgment away from him that displays God's justice it is just and God has chosen to have there be a display both of his justice and of his love that that is how God has set up the plan of salvation to display both Romans 9 I think explains why God chose there to be both a display of justice and of love study that chapter very important but see, I think the scriptures, while they may not answer all of our questions about this, for me, they've answered enough of my questions to embrace this as true. I think it's taught clearly in the scripture, and it, it glorifies the grace of God. It's to the praise of the glory of his grace. So what I want you to see is that God didn't choose you because of your works, you had no works. And he didn't choose you because of your faith. You had no faith. You were the same as everybody else. Running towards sin. 
And God, with great love and with great cost, chose you to be holy and blameless and to be his adopted son and daughter. So all the glory goes not to us for our works or to us for our faith. It doesn't go to anything of us. No one can boast before God in this salvation. All the glory goes to God. This is free grace. This is pure grace. Theologians call this unconditional election, unconditional choosing. All the reasons are in God. We gave him no reason to choose us. And at great cost to himself, he chose. So what does this mean for us? Let me give you three takeaways. I mean, one of them is study. Okay, That's not on the list, but study. Ponder these passages. Pray over them. Study them. Again, it is important that we understand election and predestination because Paul starts his list of spiritual blessings with these two to strengthen people like us who live in spiritually difficult places. So study these. But here's three other takeaways. First, if you are not yet a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're not yet trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord and your treasure, look at the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy and the compassion of God displayed in his choosing, in the cross, in his whole plan of salvation. Look at his love, look at his goodness, and trust him. Look at him. He's glorious. He's beautiful. He is worth trusting forever. And look at what he will do in saving you. What God dies for his rebellious creatures this God does. What king is willing to suffer horribly to pay for the treason his subjects have committed? Our king does. Look at his grace, look at his love, look at his glory and trust him. Second, look at how undeserving we were and let that humble you. Let that just humble you before God. You were no better than anyone else. All you, all we deserved was God's judgment. And at great cost to himself, he chose you. He saved you. Look at his free grace and let this humble you. We have nothing to boast in. Listen, anything good in us, and there's good in us now. God has saved us, given you a new heart, it's changing you. You're becoming holy and blameless. There is good in you now. But it is all because of Him. None of it is ultimately because of us. So where does all the praise go? Towards Him. All of it. It's just been striking me these last few months. There's only one being in the universe who deserves any praise or glory. God. God the Father. God the Son. God the Spirit. I don't deserve it any praise or glory. Listen, none of us do. When we stand there in heaven and we see each other and we understand what God has done in saving us, we're not going to say, you are awesome. You are. We're going to say, you are awesome. That you would save him? That you would save me? All the glory goes to him. Let this humble you. And third, look at how gracious God is. 
and praise him. Something else that's been stirring me lately. The most beautiful, majestic, glorious reality in the universe is God and his love displayed on the cross. God and his gracious love displayed on the cross and the way he freely, with pure mercy, pure grace, chose us. There's nothing more beautiful than that. So let this stir praise in your heart. I would encourage you to take time during the week and just open up scriptures like Ephesians 1, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and just bask in these descriptions of God. Just behold his grace. Behold his mercy. Behold his beauty. Say, God, open my eyes to see. Open my heart to feel this. And let the worship just flow. Grace Church, let's be a church that is humbled by the way God chose us and that praises by the way God chose us. Let's pray together. Let's stand and I'll pray. God, I ask for your power to come upon us. I, I want to pray especially, Lord, for any here who've come who are not yet trusting Jesus. Lord, let them see the beauty of your salvation. Let them see what can happen in them as they will turn and put their trust in you. Listen, if you're not you are not here by accident. God brought you here this morning to hear this message, to display his love to you, to touch your heart. So see his love and turn to him and trust him and be saved. Father, do that right now, we pray. I pray, Lord, for, for those here who struggle with pride. That's probably all of us in some ways. Lord, let us see your free, pure grace and mercy. We weren't any better than anyone else. You chose us by grace and mercy alone.